Now, grab your Bibles, if you will, and let's um, resume our study of the parables. But before I, I read my text, I want to I just remind you of something. Um, I, I told you last week that, that I'm, I'm trying to combine parables uh, where I can for the sake of shortening this, this series on the parables. Um, these two parables that I'm about to read you, um, they're different. They, um, they, are, they were, Jesus spoke them at different places at different times. One is spoken a temple, one is spoken a home over a meal. They're, they're, they're different parables, but they, they mutually complement one, one another and they, and they complete the message. Um, but that they're different details, yes, but they're saying essentially the same thing. They'll have different um, features to them. For instance, the one in Luke that I'll read mentions three specific excuses, which is not mentioned by Matthew. But if you'll, if you'll take note, you'll see that the message of these two parables is pretty much the same. So follow as I read. Uh, we'll start in Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read you the parable um, uh, beginning at verse 1. Matthew 22 at verse 1. It reads like this. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treating them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he sent to his servants, he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now go to the Luke 14 version of the same parable, beginning at verse 15. Let me read you. It's only nine verses. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to, her, said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time before the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, 
Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that endures forever. I hope you saw the similarity in the parables. And by the way, I'm going to be jumping around uh, into both because I I do think they complement one another and complete the message, the overall message. But guys, the first thing that I want you to see is that both of these parables are about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like. He says that twice in both Matthew and Luke. The kingdom of God is like. Now, now what what is the kingdom of God? Well, guys, um, that's the kingdom over which Jesus rules. However you want to understand it, that place where Jesus is king, where, where where the thrice holy God rules, that's the kingdom. And he tells us what it's like. <laughs> he is beginning to tell us what the kingdom's like. There are certain things that are told us here that are descriptive of the kingdom. Now, gang, um, let me just draw your attention to this quick point, and then we'll get to the meat of the matter. But you will notice that in both of these parables, we are told that there's a king and that the king gave. He gave a banquet, he gave a feast, he gave a wedding feast, whatever. One of the first things that you see about this kingdom, it has, the, the one that rules over it is the one who gives. What right did anyone have to be at either the banquet or the feast? They had no rights. They had no rights to be there. The only grounds of their attendance was... His invitation. Because this is a king who gives. It's a king, it's a kingdom that has a king who delights to give away what is his to people who don't necessarily deserve it. He's not having these banquets to pay people for services rendered. He has a banquet that he gave. The origin of this banquet was something that was derived from his heart. The king. The king wants to give away some good stuff. Because this is a king of of grace. Now guys, um, that's really the, um, just... The first thing I wanted you to see, because um, the, the rest of the parable I want to look at under three headings. First of all, um, I, I want you to notice the, the response to the invitation of the king to this banquet. Secondly, I want you to notice the king's response to their response. And then thirdly, the third thing I want to talk to you about is, how in the heck did you get in here? <laughs> so, first of all, guys, um, we're talking about the kingdom, as I said. And, and in this kingdom... There is an invitation. There is an invitation to come. The king extends an invitation to come. Come come be in a relationship with me. Come and enjoy fellowship with me. Come over to my place and let's eat together. The king 
extends an invitation. Now, did you notice in these two parables how this invitation was received? Not well. Um, Some of the people who were invited flatly refused to come. Um, they display a certain indifference. They're, um, they willfully refuse. I, I, I don't know why they're indifferent. Perhaps their indifference is uh, the result of being too busy in business and in farming. The, those are both mentioned. Uh, may, may, maybe they're just too occupied in making a living. Uh, but um, it, it's hard to know exactly what was the motive behind their refusal. But what, what cannot be ignored is that there was a refusal. The king extends an invitation, and these folks are just not interested. Uh, They have a certain set of priorities, and those priorities uh, preclude them from having any interest to some kind of feast that the king is throwing. Um, Again, I, I don't know what prompted them to be... To have no interest. But the fact remains. They have no interest. Whatever it is that the king is doing, it doesn't interest me. You know, interestingly, um, Luke, in his version of this parable, he mentions three Excuses. They're, they're expressly called excuses. They're not called reasons. They're called excuses. Did you see them? I mean, did you, did you, did you, did you catch what, what Jesus is saying? For instance, one of the guys says, um, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go see it. Ladies and gentlemen, who buys a piece of land and has not, let, not yet seen it? The other one says, I've got some oxen and I need to go examine them. Who buys ox or cattle... And I've never, sight unseen. The other one says, well, you know, I've gotten married. Well, why not bring your wife? The, the point behind it all, ladies and gentlemen, is that these are not reasons. They're excuses. And they're not interested in the banquet. And they're, they're trying to come up with something that will make them look honorable. But at the same time, it's very clear They're just not interested. And by the way, guys, there's nothing sinful about buying land and buying oxen and then getting married. Uh, All of of those are good things. But when those things become more valuable to me than in properly responding to the invitation of the king, then... Those things have taken over the rightful place that belongs only to the king. But I'm not interested in his invitation because I have other things that are far more important to me than this invitation of the king to come over and fellowship with him. Guys, I can tell you this much, that those excuses that are listed by Luke, those 
possessions and wealth and family and work. Those are still being used today. Those things are preventing or are keeping thousands of people out of the kingdom today. The, the invitation is still extended and people are still using the same excuses. But ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, they're not reasons, they're excuses. But the real reason is that they have a certain hostility towards the host. I'll show you that in a minute. But um, their excuses are not, they're, they're not reasons, they're, they're empty excuses. The real reason is that they simply don't like the host. They're either liars or fools, but whatever is behind their refusal, they don't like the king. They don't want to go to his party. They don't want to come. Uh, and they'll find whatever sorts of reasons to refuse his invitation. Because ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not interested in the invitation. Because I'm not interested in the inviter. The king gives a feast and he invites people to come and they're not interested. Secondly, I want you to notice how in the parables, how, how the king responds. Initially, um, his response is one of long-suffering and, and mercy. He doesn't immediately get angry. Instead, um, he sends more representatives, more servants to repeat the invitation. But then we're told in both parables that those messengers are mistreated. And so he sends some more and they too are mistreated and even some are killed. Now what would you call that? Would you not call that hostility? Uh, would, would you not say that those invited have a certain hostility towards this king and his kingdom? Well, we're told, we're told in Luke's version in, in verse 21, it says, So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then, then the master of the house became angry. Guys, the invitation goes out and goes out and goes out and goes out. And then finally, the king says, that's enough. And he sends his army out to destroy them. My, my dear friend, um, 
Did you know that there is a then? Uh, you know, the text that, that comes to mind quickly is, um, is in Isaiah 55 where it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And the clear implication is there's going to be a time that he's not near. Call ye upon him while he is near because there's going to come a time when he's not near. But, but if that doesn't clear it up, let, let me read you just four verses out of Proverbs 1. Um, we, we find this. Said. It says, because I have called you and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you see, there is a day. There is a day when the door of grace slams shut. I, I, I'm not here to tell you when that is. I'm just telling you that there is a day. There's a day when the door of grace slams shut. And this text says, I will laugh at your calamity and they will call upon me. And I will not answer. And we're told in Matthew's version in, in verse 7. That he destroys them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The king has a party. He invites people to come. They're hostile to him and his banquet. He sends more. They killed some. And he says... That's enough. And he sends his army. It was the penalty for their contempt to the invitation. After that, we're told in these parables, that he sends his servants out to invite other people. In, in Matthew's parable, verses 1 through 7 are about those who would not come. But verses 8 through 14 are about those who did come. Now, who are they? I don't know whether you noticed this, and, and if you've still got your, your Bibles open to Luke 14, it's, it's really interesting, at least it, it was to me, that it starts with those who apparently are the insiders. I, most commentators would suggest to you that this was directly aimed... Um, at those who lived closest to the temple. It was the religious establishment. It was those in Jerusalem. It was aimed at Israel. But then we're told um, in verse 21, uh, so the servant came and the master said, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Do you see that? The streets and the lanes. Okay. The, 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 the insiders, the guys closest to the temple, they have said no. Then, then go out to the streets Go out to the, to the, to the beyond, but still there in Jerusalem. Go out there. And then, of course, they refuse his invitation. And then we're finally told, um, in, in, in verse 23, and the master said, okay, then go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. It starts here. 
And he says, okay, go out into the, 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 the furthest reaches of the city. But because the, the response is the same, he says, okay, then, then leave the city. Go get those nasty, dirty, filthy, rotten Gentiles. Go invite them. And then, ladies and gentlemen, did you see in Luke 14, um, did you see the word compel? Verse 23, go out to the highways and hedges and compel. Did you see that? It's, um, it's an interesting Greek word, anagkadzo. It's translated other places, force. It's as if God realizes that what these people need is not a new messenger. What they need is a new heart. So go compel them. Oh, you bet. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, if you and I are spiritually dead... If, if in our unregenerate state, we are spiritually dead, then we're going to have to be changed by a power outside of ourselves. These two parables illustrate that the effect of the, of the broad and universal external broadcast of the gospel, that there is an effect... And the effect that it has is to stir up the evil heart. It exposes hostility. It arouses offense. And so the father then says, okay, then I'm going to have to give them a new heart. Which is exactly what he does do. He exchanges a heart of stone and replaces it with the heart of flesh. And you know what that's called, ladies and gentlemen? That's called, in language that I think you've heard before, it's called the rebirth. It's called regeneration. Because in my unregenerate state, the only thing that the gospel does to me is make me mad. And so what he does is he exchanges my heart of stone and replaces it with the heart of flesh. And then the gospel becomes altogether lovely. Now, one other thing that I want you to see, and that is, how in the heck did you get in here? You know, in, in Matthew's version of this parable, you come to the end of verse 10 and you think... Well, the parable is over, but it isn't. There's four other verses, and these other four verses give us the reason how those who are called are enabled to have a place at this feast. The way that they get adequately, appropriately ready for this feast is that the king gives them a whole new set of clothes. Gang, there, there is indeed a universal broadcast of the gospel message. Yes. 
But there must still be some wedding garments that are, that clothe me. Um, wedding garments that I do not possess. We're told in these last verses, these last four verses of uh, Matthew 11 through 14, that there's a party crasher. This guy comes to the party, but he insists on coming on his own terms. He thought he was worthy enough to be there. His clothes are just fine. Um, I'm dressed appropriately for this gig. Because he's convinced that he wants to come, but he wants to come in the way that he chooses to come. He wants to come in another way, one that doesn't include having garments placed on him. And then the king comes in. And it's in, um, it's in verse 12. Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? Well, I'll tell you. I thought my clothes were good enough. But if you'll notice in the text, it doesn't say that. It says he was speechless. The king comes to him and says, how did you get in here? And the word is speechless. Guys, most of you know a lot of this story already, but let me just tell you a little bit. Um, when Susie and I married, uh, we got a job with Procter & Gamble, and Procter & Gamble moved us to Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale Florida. And, and it was there that we heard the, the gospel, really, for the first time. Uh, I was 22. She was 21. Um, a man by the name of Jim Kennedy. You might have heard that name before. Dr. D. James Kennedy. He's dead now. But DJ, uh, Dr. Kennedy had created this program called Evangelism Explosion. It's been used all over the world. It's still being used. And, and he came to our apartment and uh, shared the gospel with us. And if you know anything about Evangelism Explosion, it begins, that, that presentation begins with two questions. The first question is this. If you come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for sure that if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven. We'll have you. But that question is not half as hard as the second question. The second question goes like this. Let's imagine you did die tonight and you stood before God and God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? I died tonight. I stand before God. And God asks me, why should I let you, Jimmy Young, into my heaven? And at that point, ladies and gentlemen, you have one of three responses. You can answer correctly. You can answer incorrectly. Or you can have no answer at all. But you got to know this. Having no answer is as bad as having the wrong answer. Being speechless 
is just as bad as having the wrong answer to the question. My friends, would you dare? Would you dare try to enter the presence of this king without being wrapped in the robes of Christ's righteousness? A righteousness that he gives to me by imputation? Would you dare try to enter this banquet thinking that there was enough righteousness in you to please him? Well, well, let me read you the response of the king to this man who tried that. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him. Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, how how would you like to understand that? I mean, you you can call it what you want to call it. You, You come up with whatever word you like. But how would you describe that? Outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. How, how, are you, how do you understand that? It's a catastrophic, eternal damnation. Call it whatever you like. Matters not. But it is populated... By people who thought they could get into the presence of God in their own merit. Without any provisions that God makes through Jesus Christ. Who needs that? You can answer wrongly. Or you can have no answer at all like this guy. And end up in a place that's called outer darkness. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, as I close, let me tell you what the right answer is. Let me uh, me explain how to answer correctly. The king says, how did you get in here? And I say... Well, first of all, Mr. King, I realize that every garment that I've got on is filthy. I I understand that every robe that I've ever possessed is ugly. I am fully aware that everything that I've ever done has done nothing but unfit me for this banquet. I understand, Mr. King, that I have no merit. I have no, I have no grounds in myself to be here. But somebody told me that there were robes available. 
And, and I understand that those robes belong to Jesus Christ. I understand that. I understand that they are available. But I understand they are His. But I've also been told. I've been told that He is willing to give those to any who embrace Him. And so, I have come to cast myself on you and your mercy. And I've come to ask for those robes of righteousness that only Jesus Christ can supply. And when I do that, He becomes my spouse. D- did you notice, guys, this is a wedding feast. It's, it's one of the, the New Testament's favorite images of the relationship that exists between Jesus Christ and his people. That he is the, the heavenly bridegroom and that I, we, are the earthly bride. I embrace this Savior and he becomes my spouse. And I sit down alongside him to enjoy a wedding feast forever. Augustine, I I quoted Augustine last week, but I quote him again. Augustine said, He loved her foul that he might make her fair. He loved her foul that he might make her fair. He loved me foul. That he might make me fair. He loved us foul. That he might make us fair. And those are the ones that occupy the kingdom. Our Father, I I thank you for your word. I thank you that it it does give us, it is full of fresh insight as to who you are, what you've done, what you require. And I pray, O God, that you will indeed uh, remind every listener here that what we need the most are garments that are provided for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. That we are that we are um, that we are made um, we are made ready for the banquet only because of what you have provided for us in Christ Jesus. And without that, what awaits us is a place of outer darkness. 
Lord, would you open people's eyes to see the great beauty of what you have done in grace for sinners as wicked as I. And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.